Welcome back to KPWB. We got a caller on line one. Caller, what's up? Yeah, uh, I was just wondering, are you guys gonna play any more uh, Ryan Cedarquist hits? I haven't heard them for a while. Caller, you are in luck. We got a new one dropping here right now. Ten thousand feet, you know, here we are, above all the clouds, but below all the stars. Oh, ten thousand feet, you know, here we are, above all the clouds and below the stars. Oh, L E A D B I. Here at KQWB, it's from Ryan Sinterquist, all the way from Lundell, Colorado. Yeah, bruh. Yeah. We behind the sky, give me that high mountain vibe. Cloud City, baby, joke is that fortune goodbye. John Winthrop said it best, we're a city on a hill. Horace Tabor did the rest, collecting bill after bill. We got that Dutch Henry Hill, you know we call it boom days. Borough Racing's good joining, there's a couple of ways. A coming down Harrison, and everyone is amazed. I tell them, Market Mountain, massive, and I'm not even phased. Saying hi to Smokey at the community threads. I got my melee looking fresh, you know I turning heads. I'm stealing glances from your girl, better alert the feds. As I ride in my dog sled, they thoroughbreds. And I'm a panther for life, you know a cool cat. Our teachers be so fly, you know they know how to Snapchat. And they be tripping every time we be wearing a hat. But we be dripping, we in crew circle shouting who that. And when we up to bat, let will be a true team. We radical David Platt, we turning you into a We all in the Democrat, our stories need a new ream. We all in the field shouting victory, it's our new hey, yeah. Silver Rush, heavy half coming over Columbine in the Leadville, 135 behind the winter Tim Park. Went around the lake, quicker than I can, even when I'm in a fast car. Do we even have a bar? Tweet line, PB, Pioneer, what? 24 7 back in the day. Can I have a say when I want on my way? Get a nap at the Tennessee Fast Cafe. 10,000 feet, you know, here we are. Above all the clouds, Hey everyone, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. Welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast here on Shovel Lake Public Radio. I am your host, Ryan Cedarquist, and so thrilled to be with you today. Again, monster topics, lots of stories. This is going to be another one of those potpourri shows. I thought about doing like a Sunday sports special here. It is Easter today. Um, I'm not sure for sure if we're going to get this show out by the end of the day. It's always a little bit hard to know. Uh, the updates going out as far as cross-country skiing and ski reports go, we still do have some snow here in Leadville on the Mineral Belt. Uh, they, they actually did groom it yesterday. They normally groom Tuesdays and Saturdays. I do think almost 100% guarantee this will be the final grooming. And, and unlike last year where that was just an arbitrary date that they decided to stop grooming, there was so much snow last year. They could have been grooming well into April, um, easily to the end of April. They could have been piston blade grooming it last year. This year, it looks a lot more like it did, uh, honestly, more like mid-May would have, I assume. We just don't have, did not get a nearly as deep a snowpack as last year, but, you know, I was uh, talking with Friend and listener Chris Marcion, who is uh, was up here joining joining me for a double pole workout yesterday morning, uh, and we were talking about how I asked him, "Is this good, bad, average, low as far as snow goes?" And and I think he he kind of alluded to the fact, you know, this isn't this is doable. It's definitely not as bad as it's been, uh, and. And I think uh, it was definitely a fair winter. Started, uh, we got on snow. Let's see. Sorry about that if that was a little bit loud. I'm trying to find these levels. Is that better? Well, it's about the same. Anyway, we got on snow. I, I can check the journal again when it exactly it was. It was sometime more like mid-November this year, about a month after uh, previous year. 2019, we were on snow mid-October. And again, could have been groomed all the way until like May. They decided to not not keep it going quite that long. Uh, of course, we had grooming, Leadville at the golf course, April 26th was our last day of grooming. And then we had a great crust skiing uh, season from then until about May 20th. So this year, I, my, my outlook, my goal, our goal, Chris agreed to, he's hope, hoping to get on, stay on skis until May 1st. I would love to be able to do that in some fashion. Uh, so anyway, what was it yesterday? They groomed and we had our kind of our one and only day where we have World Cup conditions here. What I mean by that is just that kind of fast, high moisture level snow. So because it was quite warm the previous two days. So the snow had a lot of moisture content and it had melted. Sun sun was being down on it. They churned it up, packed it down. I mean, it was it was lightning fast. We did 50 kilometers of double pulling in just about two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, and we weren't really you know, horsing it. We did do a, about a 15 K section in the middle where we, we tried to go a little more earnest pace 
Uh, but other than that, it was it was just that fast. So got warm again up to about 50 yesterday, and the sun was out. It was it was quite warm, and I went up to the California Gulch section, which is on the other side of the mountain, shaded area, and that snow actually held up really nice. So I was skate skiing on what had been groomed almost 24 hours prior uh, and in about 45 or 50 degree temps, but the snow wasn't really like that at all. It was, it was kind of a bizarre experience. That that section, I just kind of lapped a two-mile section. Um, stays pretty stays pretty good. So if they didn't clear it, I think we could keep that for a week or two longer, uh, but I kind of suspect uh, that they will take the plow out at some point. I almost wonder if it'll be next Saturday. You know, maybe they will let it melt kind of throughout the week here. Uh, but I've heard Turquoise Lake is pretty good for cross skiing right now. And uh, I guess I'm just going to have to be out scoping and I'll try to bring reports back for next week's show. Speaking of next week's show, uh, just just saw an article on the Visma Ski Classics news website about a new study. The article on the Visma website, a jur- the journalism the journalism going on there, titled, uh, What Does It Take to Be a Long Distance Skier? But it's based off a 2021 study that was just published um, that was kind of investigating 12 training logs of some Visma Ski Classics athletes. So I want to get, get, I just saw that today. I want to get in to reading it throughout the week and maybe put some notes. And so we won't talk about that, but that's kind of something to look forward to head next week. Of course, this week on our website, I'm trying to post some articles as well about three, three things you can do to be a, to improve uh, next year, improve for next year in your skiing. Um, and, and any other sports too, I think I tried to make those principles that I think you can apply across, across the way. Obviously it's not the, not the three most important things necessarily, but, uh, basically I wanted to do some writing. So <laughs> actually we've had guests over and so it's been a little bit harder. I didn't get to do my Saturday morning show. And so I was like, well, I'll, I'll do some writing. So I was up at 5am doing just, just writing some things out as Ajay was barking at squirrels in the dark or her reflection. We're not really sure actually. So on today's show, we're going to talk about, uh, some some just four major sports stories. We got a few fun stories there. We are going to touch on the Let's Run.com podcast, so some running topics. We do have some ski news as well, though. Um, so a little bit of everything, I think, on today's show, although I don't think I have any politics in the show, Ralph. Do we have any any politics? I know. No political topics? <laughs> he really wanted me to make a Jim Eagle joke. Uh, I don't know if you caught it. We, we, we did. We were talking about... Um, Biden's conference last week, so we won't bring this up much. But but this is one last thing was the Jim Eagle thing when he said he made a quote. I think it was you know this isn't like Jim Crow. This is like this is like Jim Eagle. You know it's making. I think he said it's making Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. And um, Ben Shapiro on his podcast was like, I I wanted to make sure I didn't miss something, so I had to, I did like a you know deep dive research. Who is Jim Eagle? And he found I, I nope, there is no Jim Eagle. That's not a thing. Um, so he had to kind of conclude, Shapiro had to conclude that, I just feel really bad for anyone out there named Jim Eagle. Jim Eagle must have been watching the news conference going, wait, what did I do, huh? What? <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. So Jim Eagle, think if you are named Jim Eagle. And that's just, that was one of those parts that just kind of went over. So uh, kind of went over everyone's head. No one like was like, wait, what did, what did he compare Jim Crow to Jim Eagle? What's this Jim Eagle situation? They didn't really talk about that. We're not going to go into politics. There it was. Okay, let's let's move on. Oh, oh, Ralph wants me to say one more thing that we have some new segments today that we're going to test out. Okay, well, those the the listeners will will see those as they as they appear in real time. Okay, so first article, no, first piece of business. Let's do ski news. That way, the ski news people can drop out if they don't want to keep listening to <laughs> to the rest of the program, right? And there's not a there's not a ton of things here. First thing though, I thought it was kind of interesting. I don't know if you've been watching, but uh, you know, season ends up wraps up. But Alexander Bolshinov just keeps pounding away. He just keeps pounding away. Did you see that on the FIS website? Looking at the results, the Russian national championships were happening all last week, right? Yeah. So Bolshinov did the sprint, and he won. Then he did a 30k skiathlon. And he won that 
And it's it's kind of it's kind of curious to me. I, I don't know. Like, is was that day that workout so easy for him that it's just like him going out like we did the other day in the fifty k double pull and to the to the bystander like that's insane. That's like longer than the Berkey or whatever. And it's like, well, it's just kind of this is sort of almost whatever we do this every day kind of a thing. The skiathlon he maybe didn't have to try. I don't know. Or does he go to the well? There was a, in seeming an article on DailySkier.com. They're kind of like, oh, isn't this amazing? Bolshinov can. You know, he he just finds a way to push it to the max every time he steps out on the course. And so I obviously didn't watch the race, haven't haven't uh, read any of the Russian coverage of it. I didn't even know how to find that, to be honest. So, But mostly just looking at Daily Skier's Instagram and then going to the FIS website. And I was curious. I was like, is he going to try and do the 50K too? Which at this point, why not? You know, you've <laughs> shown up anyway. Just go for a cruise. But maybe he has too much pride that he had to make sure he won. He did not do the 15K freestyle as well, but that was won by Maltsov. Second was Yakamushkin. And those are two names. We saw them at the World Championships. So a high-level competition at those Russian nationals. Uh, they didn't do a Norwegian national meet, though, I don't think. Oh, here's a, here's a name from the results. Let's keep a look at the seventh place finisher 15K Russian national championships, Alexander Kuleshov. You might be thinking, who cares? First of all, he beat Chervotkin, okay? Alexander Kuleshov. Is that, should we start pronouncing it, trying to make it rhyme more with Bolshinov? That's so close to Bolshinov's name. I don't know. He was one. I was I was kind of looking at results, trying to find, you know, who was the youngest person that stuck out? Uh, n- nothing that was so crazy or oldest, too. I, I, I like looking for both of those things. Uh, we have a Nikita... Rodionov, born in 2003, he was 56th, about three minutes back. What would that make him, about 18 years old? That's not bad for an 18-year-old at the Russian Nationals. Uh, did not start. There's Bolshinov in the did not start list. So uh, I guess he didn't want didn't to partake. He's decided his season was done. I, I wonder who who made him do that, though? Like, was that something that he wanted to do? Is that some, a sponsor thing that you have to do Russian nationals? And, and if he does, why does he not do 15K freestyle? Why does he do the skiathlon and the sprint? Or, you know what I mean? I, it'd be interesting to find out the logistics there, the brainchild behind uh, why why make Bolshinov do th- those two events. I wonder what was behind that. That's pretty much all the thing going on in Fist action was just want to bring up Bolshinov keeps pounding away. What an Iron Man though, right? What an Iron Man. Uh, here's a topic. So again, a faithful listener, and it's fun having listeners, you know, bring topics to my attention. And we've got to get we're going to get Chris on the show eventually. But one thing he brought up in our ski workout conversation. That's right. We were we were skiing 50k at 3:13 a kilometer, and then still having time to talk. Actually, it really was just that fast. The hardest part. We would have probably gotten faster if we wouldn't have had to keep jumping out of the tracks to like ski next to each other. It's hard. If someone has a solution to that, where like you'd think if you you're skiing with someone in the classic tracks, you'd be able to hear them. It's it's kind of annoying. The person behind can talk. The person in front can definitely hear the person behind them, but the second they start talking, it's like the sound is just lost in the snow noise. So anyway, Chris's point he brought up, though, and I thought this was so well, uh, such so well, uh, such a great idea. I want to kind of bring it to our attention because I think on the last show we were talking a little bit about uh, fairness, evening the, evening the playing field, all that sort of thing, and um, do we do we take the side of um, sort of the the wax tech ski speed ski technician side that's part of the game so tough luck and since it is theory it, it is logistically impossible to truly even the playing playing field since that's an element to skiing so do we kind of go well yeah I guess this is a sport there will never truly be an even playing field or Chris brought up a point maybe this is a this would be kind of evening the playing field is let the athletes wax their own skis and we both brought up this interesting quote I had read from Rosie Brennan about the season and its uniqueness. And she kind of mentioned the difficulties of having to be the um, wax technician and, you know, kind of do all the work that as a citizen's racer, we're just, just being normal, right? I don't even know if she had to drive herself to the race, but, you know, you're the bu- you're a bus driver, you are your logistics coordinator, you're finding lodging, you're figuring out your schedule, you're testing your skis, you're doing your skis, you're doing everything. 
And uh, Rosie was kind of like, that's kind of, you know, I just had kind of lost track of what that was really like, sort of forgot about that a little bit. And it's an additional thing to think of. I don't think she even really painted it as like this awful thing either. So um, anyway, is that something would be interesting to think about is if we're going to say that this is sort of a skill in and of itself and it deserves to be influential in determining the outcome of races, it does sort of make sense to me then that you would require each athlete to take care of their own skis. And then it's kind of on them. I think that truly would be evening the playing field. Now we're, and we're, and we're it's kind of a win-win, right? We're keeping this, this side of skis, ski speed, grinds, text, you know, uh, uh, I almost said tech structure. That's what I'm teaching my fifth grade class. Uh, grind, base structure, wax, waxing, testing, right? Like thinking about those logistics. How much are you going to test if you have to race too? Um, well, how are you going to test? Uh, so and, and then taking that information from a test that's probably happening before the race. Like if all that's on the athlete, then, then if you have the fastest skis in the field, at least you can go, yeah, but I did that. You know, it's not just who has the most, um, who has the, the, uh, I'm trying to find the all-inclusive word here, but you know, cause it's, it's partially money, it's partially resources, but who has the most behind them on the technician side to back them? Cause that's the person who gets the fastest skis most of the time, right? There are occasions where it doesn't, but this is why the Norwegians have the fastest skis. They've invested, uh, time, money, people, and science behind winning that war more often than not. And if we're going to play by these rules, I don't think anyone should look down at Norway and go, oh, that's so unfair. It's like, no, they they want more people. They want the best people. They're going to make, they realize how important this is. And so they're going to make a huge deal out of it. And yeah, they're, they're going to outnumber the number of testers, the number of fleets of skis they've got. <laughs> like, tough luck, everyone. But wouldn't it be fascinating if that was just on the athlete? And they could, st- it's nothing against the athlete. Like, you know, if in their summertime, in their fall training, they want to consult those resources and become a student in the game, that's great. Go for it. But the, the rule would just be at the World Cup races, there's no such thing as a wax tech there. You have, you know, the, the race series, but I, I mean, I haven't thought this out. I'm kind of thinking the fly now, but you can't, you can't receive any help in terms of, um, waxing or prepping skis. We'll provide the bench. We'll provide the iron. They can even make it so, um, you know, the FIS site says, here's all the waxes you can choose from. <laughs> you know, I mean, you you could do it that way or you could say, nope, we'll, we'll give iron, bench, space, and accessibility to these at any time of the day you want. It's open 24-7, uh, but you have to provide your own waxes. You have to provide your own um, uh, extra skis, whatever. I think that'd be sweet, honestly. Like, uh, I mean, it would totally change the game completely. And you know what? I think there would be a lot of Norwegians that would still dominate. I'm not saying it would it would it would take them out. I, I would assume that they might know more about um, the ski speed technology chemistry aspect than the Americans would for sure, and um, probably most other countries too. But. Uh, yeah, I think if we're going to keep that as a component, then let's even the playing field and put it on them. Because it is kind of, it's kind of crazy that that when you think about it, what it boils down to, it is, it's kind of who has the most money, who has the most resources, and then they're the ones who are going to have the fastest skis. Not necessarily win, but they'll have the fastest skis most of the time. So great point. I like it. Um, I'm, what do you think? What do you guys think as a listeners? You know, you can always, again, I mean, when we post these on our cedarskier.com, you can always comment. Um, you can comment right in the Facebook chat too, wherever, or the Facebook post, uh, in the comment section. If you have ideas, questions, we'll take them. Speaking of ideas, um, this, uh, second part of the ski news, I think it's a good time appropriate to, uh, present our new segment, um, dumb ideas. Is that, that's what we're calling it? Play the sounder for it. It's time for dumb ideas on the Cedar Skier podcast. That does make sense. I don't know. I enjoy having breakfast in bed. I like waking up to the smell of bacon. Sue me. This counts as well. Thanks for nothing. This is wow. All right, so our first ever dumb ideas. Uh, These are, no, we're not going to put the Visma Marathon team as a dumb idea. We are start. we're going to keep raising funds for the CedarSkier.com, CedarSkier.com. Visma Ski Classics team. It's in the works. We still need some athletes. We need roster spots. I think we need. Well, I'll call, I'll take one guy spot. So we need two more guys, three more girls. Unless unless Christy is up for it, 
I think we're going to have to wait for the pregnancy to go full term and then we'll start setting goals for her. I don't know if she's up for uh, doing 50K races like six weeks in a row, but we'll see. I can maybe win her over too. We'll, we'll work on it. Okay, so that's not, one of the, that's not the dumb idea. The dumb idea of the week brought to you by – do we have a sponsor for this segment? <laughs> uh, Ralph is saying that we should use um, one of the U.S. Keeple Company competitors as a sponsor for the dumb idea of the week now let's think of something though we should think of something that would that would be good uh, dumb idea of the week extreme journalism i already tried to explain this to my wife to see how this worked out by the way i'm not sure if i came up with this, uh, this idea for the segment itself or if i genuinely in my heart thought this was a good idea i don't know okay but my dumb idea of the week is uh extreme journalism here here's kind of the background of it um we're always trying to get closer to the action I think in our society, we've got people, they pull their phones out on the streets right when something's happening. That was kind of the craze. You know, that started a while ago, but now it's just, it's second nature for these people. And I'm always stunned, don't know about you too, but like when someone is watching, well, this is a little bit gruesome and dark, but I don't know if you remember that the scene where the the driver was shot I think by a policeman, um, and the passenger was his wife. She's sitting in the passenger seat filming him bleed to death, like with her camera and like giving narration. You know, like, can you believe this happened? It's like, really? Like, I, if I was, if I was riding shotgun and Christy got, um, a bullet sent through her chest and she is bleeding to death in front of me. I don't think my instinct would be like, you know, I better film this anyway. So people want to get close to the action, right? They want to get close to action. They want coverage. We've got, we also are getting these different perspectives. Visual perspectives are huge. Inside information is huge. Uh, in, in, uh, ESPN, right? The Twitter, the Twitter, who is the first one to post the the free agency move, the trade in the NFL, any of those things, they're the bigger deal, right? And so all those inside sources play a role and they're key for attention, for all of this, right? For money, everything. And, and, and then when, when it comes to visual things, we're all about getting this drone footage of things so we can, we, we can see so much more today. The stories being told are coming from so much more of an inside perspective. So that's sort of the background here is I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, picture me, me, the Cedar Skier, cedarskier.com industries, right? I enter into, let's say, the Birken, okay, in Norway. I go out at a just redneck insane as hard as I can pace right from the gun up the first 12k climb or whatever it is and I I position myself trying to anyway I'm not even sure if I could but but maybe I can right right in the lead pack and I kind of pull off into one of the side tracks and I start interviewing people mid-race I start like asking them questions how are you feeling right at this moment <laughs> what are you thinking about right what are you thinking about uh what, what do you think about the person in front of you right now does he smell? What What do you think of his equipment? Any of these things, right? Is your wax working? <laughs> Are your skis working? What do you eat for breakfast? You're just doing this like it's the extreme of the extreme inside of the inside, right? I am telling the story from inside the race. You can document it any way you want. Maybe I've got a GoPro attached to my head. Uh, maybe I've got definitely try and get one of those really small wireless microphones, earbuds, headbuds, what are they called? The iPod things, right? So I can record voice, can record audio. I can get all this information and this data. Okay. Then I go home and I write this article now, which, you know, normally in a sporting event, you're telling the story as the journalist, someone who is sitting on press row and then goes and tries to ask athletes for information. Well, why not take it a step above and be extreme and get in the action? Okay, and so maybe right now you're seeing why this is a dumb idea. Uh, and the only conflict in my head was, am I, my wife thought I was coming up with this idea because I just simply wanted to combine my love of skiing and love of journalism. And, and I just don't, I don't know. I don't buy it. But the other thing is, is I was kind of realizing it's interesting. Picture like if Galen Rupp, who's won the last, you know, seven of the last eight 10K US championships and Olympic trials and marathons, picture if, if a newspaper or like Sports Illustrated or Let's Run.com decided to hire Galen Rupp as a journalist. So they're like, yeah, yeah, you don't, you just, you do you, you do your running career, or whatever, but every time you run a race, we need a report from you. And I don't want it, we don't want it written like it's like a journal entry. This isn't a blog post. We want you to give us like a hard news AP format style report. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can quote yourself because you're in the race. You're an athlete in it. That's fine. 
And so, and I was like, that would be interesting if someone did that. And I'm just, I was trying to imagine how that article would actually be different. Obviously, he's in the race. He's got like a totally different viewpoint of the race. And my wife was kind of saying, well, that's, that's coming. That's going to be like unfair and weird. Like he's in the race. He can't see everything taking place. And I was kind of like, true. But if you think about it, if you're sitting up in press row or in the press box, you, um, you can't see everything either. If we define everything as the, again, the, the stories that you can only tell are happening when you're in the pack. Sure, you, you get the bird's eye view, but who's to say that's seeing everything? It's not. It's just a different perspective, uh, which, which is absolutely true. Uh, for sure, right? Because I'm absolutely right in all my takes. But anyway, that's that is something I thought about. I was like, interesting. So then, like, okay, next step. Isn't the job of the journalist to? This is why athletes they come out after the race and then they get asked these questions, like, "What were you thinking about this?" Or "I saw this move happen. How did you react? What was the atmosphere in there?" And blah blah blah. But what do we get from athletes? We get these like responses that tell us nothing. You know, it's like. So in my head, the idea for the extreme journalism, journalisming is more, okay, athletes, if you're not going to do the job for us and tell us what's really going on there, then I'm going to have to go and do it myself. So I'm going to get in the race and I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> okay, I'm laughing at myself. That is the peak and height. You know it's a dumb idea. And that is why it's part of the dumb ideas segment. Thank you. All right, uh, let's see. So, these news. do we want to read the letter from David Nielsen, the CEO? The CEO of the Visma Ski Classics wrote this wonderful letter to the fans. And it says, together we did it. Dear all, Visma Ski Classics Season 11 has been a challenge for all of us. In front of the season, we evaluated various options on how to handle our sport during the ongoing pandemic. After careful consideration, we decided that we were going to do our utmost to deliver a complete season and to do it in the safest way possible. We felt it was very important for the sport, for our pro teams and athletes, our events, partners, TV customers, and fans. Sports can be consider considered secondary in times of a world crisis, but it is both a livelihood for our athletes and an important facilitator for public health. And sports brings people together, which we today perhaps need more than ever. We asked all of you to help to deliver us this season by doing our part of minimizing the risk of infection spread. A request you took seriously and did your best to fulfill with greatness. I want to start, by the way, this letter so far, to me, the aura about it is one of respect to the virus, which I appreciate in the sense that even if there are people out there, you know, the phrase right away that caught my attention is when he says world crisis, and I immediately thought, how long was this actually a world crisis? Because I think if you talk to at least 85%, it, maybe it's a little less, but I, I got to think it might be close to that. Most people, if you said, how long were you fearing for your kind of like life and kind of scared about COVID-19? And then if they were given a choice, like the first five weeks of the virus, right? The first three months of the pandemic or like choice three, I'm still scared to death. This is a crisis. What on earth are you talking about? I think if most people were honest with themselves in this situation, they would actually answer with that first one. The first five weeks, when we didn't know anything, it's spreading like crazy, and I thought our pets' heads are falling off, right? And we better head for the hills. This could be the Black Plague. I think most people were pretty nervous those first five weeks, and totally understandably. So, you know, but the point I'm bringing up is Nielsen doesn't really take one side or the other in this letter. He doesn't say like, yeah, the pandemic was stupid, so we just decided to do our season. <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't he also doesn't like exaggerate the other end of the spectrum either. You know, and and like some groups have, I think where it's just like, really? You're going to cancel everything until like 2025? Come on, you know, and he also wasn't irrational here. I, so I like the respect. I like the wording. Nielsen is, is spot on. He's classy. I love it. And he also brings up some good points, you know, like this is livelihood for the athletes, obviously, but also it's a place for public health. Raise your hand right now. Uh, my hand is up here in the studio on Shuffle Lake Public Radio, cedarscare.com, Cedarscare podcast. I'm saying the people who were out there grooming in April last year, that was huge. We were all like locked in, couldn't do anything. Well, all of a sudden, cross-country skiing grew. That was an amazing sport for the introverts and all of us <laughs> to get out and be, be healthy. And, and not only that, to, to, be, to be able to do something that, that de-stressed us, but also actually provides an immune a benefit as well. So I love his acknowledgement of that. I think that's great. 
And, and and also I love how he kind of says, "We all came together as a team. We're gonna make this happen. We're gonna we're gonna do it. Uh, we might have to make some adjustments. We're not gonna have everyone there at the Vasilope, but we're gonna we're gonna do this because it's important." All right, March twenty seventh, the season ended with uh, <laughs> with Claybo. I'm saying Claybo because did you hear the person say Claybo? Mariette Borgen, Visma Ski Podcast. Go ahead and listen to it. Bjorgen says Claybo. Thank you. March 27th, the season ended with Arfjell Sloppet in Valadalen, Sweden. I know I didn't get that right, but it's okay. Together, we managed to deliver eight events in 11 weeks and in four different countries. In total, 39 hours of exciting battles in the tracks with zero positive COVID-19 cases. That's stunning. Zero cases? That alo- I mean, I know. The NBA, I think, had zero too, right, in their whole um, bubble. They were pretty bubbled up. But even the NFL, I don't think there were there any. Oh no, no, NFL did have some, right? Yeah, because remember the Broncos had like no one they could start a quarterback. I think that's pretty amazing, actually. I don't know what they're considering either. Like, does that mean every wax tech, every team member, they they never had COVID, period, or does it mean there was no COVID spread that had been identified or raised? I'm not really sure, but but either way, that's pretty impressive. I, I think it shows that if you can pull off the Visma Ski Classics amidst this pandemic safely for the athletes, um, you probably could do just about any event. I mean, it's still a big event. There's still a lot of people there. You know, I get it. They didn't have like the complete masses, which is the beauty of Visma, but they still had a lot of athletes there. It sort of makes like the fact that we didn't have U.S. Super Tour events a little bit silly looking back. But I think part of that might have been a logistical thing where they have to plan those so far in advance. They kind of had no choice but to cancel them. Now we look forward with the hopes that the situation... Oh, sorry. I forgot the last line of that paragraph. I would like to take this opportunity to thank you for the exceptional commitment and the hard work you have done during these difficult times. Now we look forward with the hopes that the situation in the world will improve during the coming months and that we will be back to a more normal situation before next winter season. Meanwhile, we will continue to do our best to build the sport of long-distance skiing. That phrase is used so often. And if you listen to their podcast, right, they want to, to grow the sport of long-distance skiing. It's beautiful. And they're like, I love the phrase, which is like, and make you a better skier. <laughs> I love listening to their podcast. It's the greatest. It's so, it's so like... Uh, so dry kind of, but like if you are a skier nerd and especially like the double pole nerd and a long distance ski nerd, marathon nerd, like it's just every, every moment of it, you're kind of like pulled in <laughs> and then you like, look back, you're like most people wouldn't probably want to listen to this podcast, but I love it. And so anyway, I like, I, I think all that, all that is to say that the, one of the greatest things about the Visma model is it takes what is pro cycling, the tour de France, um, all the spring classics, Tour of Italy, right? Tour of Spain, all those events, which the ardent ski fan, the ardent or the ardent cycling fan watches or at least follows. And and um, maybe even, I don't know if, you know, every cycling fan has had to have thought, wouldn't it be cool to, to be like biking that route at the Tour de France? Not saying like, yeah, I could, I could smash with Lance Armstrong. I just mean like, it'd be kind of cool if that event was open to me too. Like I could just sign up for it and Visma is like we're going to take the hyper competitiveness of the Tour de France and the eliteness of it with the top athletes that we have which are some of the best skiers in the world period of any type of skiing and we're going to allow Joe Bega Donuts and his brother-in-law and his daughter to sign up for the same races too everyone can master blasters alike uh, random, random guys, random girls you can all sign up for any of the Visma ski, ski classic races you could race with the pros and I love how that's like part of their foundation where it's, we want that to feel, to, we want that to stay together. Um, so that's amazing. They truly do care about growing the sport of long distance skiing and they're going about it in the right way by making this involvement with the fans. You know, it seems kind of obvious, but I think when we think about how do we grow the sport of long distance running or cycling in America or this or that, I mean, really any sport. But part of it is you want to have this connection with fans. And I think there's a certain group of fans where they feel that connection when they can follow their athletes and their, their favorite, their heroes on like social media and, they, and training blogs. And they can feel like I really know what's going on in the everyday life of LeBron James or Molly Huddle or whatever it may be. And I get that. I think there's some connection there that they, they want to, to, to follow. And that's why companies choose athletes that have this marketability and they are good at social media and good at communicating because they know that's how the world operates now. Fans 
uh, want to and fans want to and they flock to athletes who are open. Um, but but another way you grow this sport is just by bringing your product right to the fans and give, making the, it accessible to fans directly. You know, they don't have to, they're not sitting behind the fences, so to speak. It's like, hey, you want to be a part of this? Go for it. Because we believe that long distance skiing is good for you too, right? I think that's one of the best parts ever. You know, they, they, there's no, uh, no gender, age, race barrier in, in the Visma Ski Classics in the sense of what they, what they believe in. Right. And there it's any age, any person we love. If you love skiing, we love you and we want you to be a part of this. And uh, it's very unique. But the hyper competitiveness, it seems to be growing. That's why I want to bring this letter up is just how encouraging that this survived. I was quite nervous at the start of the pandemic because I was just getting into Visma, the Visma scene. I was like, oh, man, what if this what if this kills it? You know, there are some people on Facebook comment places I read anyway. It was like, well, this is going to kill skiing. You know, it's going to kill cross-country skiing. And, you know, as events closed down, as competitions closed down, as they started canceling things like a year in advance, we had the Canada situation. It's like, hey, let's just kill this sport even more. And I I do think with skiing, there's probably a faction of uh, the population, a faction of truth to those statements and people who who think that, where, hey, look, our, our sport is already so inaccessible to the average person. Now we've just killed it even more for the people who are already in it. What a mistake. And I, I think there are some people that might take what I'm reading now and look at it and go, hey, look, see, we were fine. We shut it down and, and our sport still grew. And and certainly from an economic standpoint, you could argue that the pandemic led to an increase in sales and interest in cross-country skiing from your average recreational um, participant. Uh, we, You know, you, you could look at and, – and I've seen some reports – Cross Country Ski Association of America and talking about, you know, sales being up. So that's all great. That's all good. But there's still this competitive sphere. And I think there was definitely a chance for um, for the pandemic to really to really kind of hurt it. And I'm thrilled to see Visma made it through strong, uh, really navigated a difficult situation with success and pulled off a great season. And, you know, on this last point, the World Cup, if we really think about it, you know, it's interesting the effects that the pandemic had. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But first, a message from our sponsors. <laughs> okay, we're back. <laughs> if you want to sponsor the cedarsgear.com podcast, you should just get in touch with me because I, we don't have some sort of like system where you can do it anonymous, anonymously. You should just comment on Facebook and go, you know, I love your show. How can we support your dreams? And I actually have had an individual reach out. I'm not going to say his name, but he reached out and I think he listens to our show. Um, and he said, hey, I'd kind of like to support your, your dreams a little bit. Uh, let me know how I can send you some funds. And I apologize. I haven't gotten back. Uh, to him yet about it, but I, but it's kind of I'm I'm so um, I don't know, flattered, blown away, but really really appreciative of this, um, as any, as anyone should be, but but especially you know like this is sort of a venture out in the, out in the middle of nowhere, and it's like you know I just really want to think about where I want to target some of that cash if I if I do receive some and and make you feel like you're not just throwing this empty. I want you to be able to know like we use this for this specific purpose. And so I've been working on sort of a budget plan. I've got several different dream Google Docs in the in the works, right? Next week we can maybe do for another uh, dumb idea segment. Maybe I can tell you about the Visma ski classic idea. But bottom line is, you know, as a skier there's always something we would we would definitely use it for that'd be useful, but I just want to make be careful considerate uh, you know, if people are going to actually uh, give us something. I want them to feel like they're a part of the team. It's like, hey, yeah, I paid for those uh, new skis that he used in the last race. I think that would be cool. So um, listeners, sponsors, potential sponsors, um, there's my reasoning. But if you're interested, comment on Facebook, email us, comment on the cedarskier.com. Anyway, I guess we could do a, the Malto Meal segment. Malto Meal, powering us through uh, life. They don't sponsor us. They don't know they sponsor us, and they haven't responded to us when asked if they are interested in sponsoring us, despite being based in Northfield, and it's kind of my third home. Northfield's sort of my third home, behind Eugene, Oregon, and obviously Leadville, Colorado. So uh, where was I? Where was I going? What was the next segment that we were talking about? 
oh yeah, effect of the pandemic on the World Cup. Here's something. Uh, we we don't need to talk more World Cup much after this, but I, I was thinking about this uh, previously that, look, the the pandemic threw Norway out, right? And for a while, I shouldn't say it threw Norway out. They decided to sit out, kind of, right? But it changed the dynamics completely of some of those January and February events. And Americans capitalized, and some other nations capitalized too. And then we had the World Championships where Norway comes back. And they kind of tear everything up, right? Like they, they did uh, really amazing, kind of as expected. But I think for the person who followed followed the whole season, you're looking at it like almost like it was a little unfair in the sense that they're coming to that World Cup or the World Championships having not done the whole grind of the season like everyone else. So, of course, that freshness, that ability to actually in real in reality to go we are focusing only on the world championships because we literally can't focus on anything else i think that was very obvious and you could argue that in a regular season like had the pandemic not been there perhaps they would have trained with the exact same focus you know all we care about is the world championships but you couldn't prove that they would have trained the same way and and that it would have had the same effect. I mean, the fact of the matter is that even if they do do that, they're like, hey, yeah, we're going to race the World Cup, but we really only care about the championships. Again, no pandemic. Imagine that world. And we're, we're talking Norway here. I, they still have to go and show up at a lot of those World Cup races, and that's going to take a grind. There's some travel involved even for them. There's logistics. There's potential for injury. There's wear and tear on the body. And so I, I just think for a country to like kind of, well, I guess we're not going to compete at these World Cups. It was also like, yes, we kind of have an excuse now to like reshift our focus for the next 10 weeks. Let's have everything be set up perfectly for the World Championships. And we can do that really deliberately and probably with a little more extreme uh, focus than we would if we were still competing for those spring globes, overall globe. Because there's no way, right? Clabo, if he raises every race he uh, in the World Cup season, World Cup schedule, he's not going to like forfeit everything to Bolshinov. Now, he might at some point in January, February go, all right, overall, it's probably out of the bat, out of the cards. Let's hone in on the world title and and we'll just focus on that. And then maybe he does. But that that cumulative effect of, of giving it you know, some serious effort early on would still have played a different role. So I, I just think the nature of the pandemic, what it did is it gave Norway an advantage to taper perfectly for the world championships. It gave the, we'll just take the U.S. and other countries, the advantage of, all right, Norway, the best team in the world isn't here on the World Cup, so let's go claim some some podium places. And we saw Swerble nail a podium spot that probably wouldn't have happened. We, we saw Diggins, obviously, with all of her accomplishments. Rosie Brennan had a great early start to the year and really respectable all the way through, uh, but was going full gas the whole time. We had Schumacher get some really amazing finishes, and all that left us uh, as the we'll we'll say the North American fan for sure. Kind of like, yes, we got some hardware finally, but also certainly a tinge of can we we need we need some validation. So the American fan is coming in hungry to go. I maybe we took in the next step, but we want to prove it. Um, and the Norwegians are coming in sort of hungry to we're going to go reclaim what was lost right from us and we'll show you again that we're 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 still the best in the world cup season as well as the world championships and um i think so the pandemic sort of perhaps has garnered this increased fan interest because of new narratives so uh that's something i think the pandemic in other sports the pandemic didn't create new narratives it it was responsible for just kind of altering things altogether the NBA season, you know, you might say LeBron James' fourth title with the Lakers was kind of a fake. Um, you know, NFL is getting some support for, wow, what a great year. You know, everything was pretty much normal. I didn't even notice the difference. Um, MLB, kind of the opposite, you know, like 60-game season. It's totally different. Uh, but there was no creation of teams going, all right, we're going to come back with a different story uh, because of what happened, which was a result of the pandemic directly. But in skiing, the pandemic had this direct effect 
that then opened up the door for new people to emerge and new stories to emerge. And and then when we came back, strangely, for the World Championships, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is fine. The pandemic won't affect us here. And, and Norway's back and everything's back. And then the drama that ensued there even. I'm really excited about next season's uh, the World Cup. And you know what? We, we've got something interesting because we've got – it's an Olympic year. It's it's not just a free and open year, so there's going to be a, a, again a lot of interesting a lot of interesting possibilities. Will Will Diggins decide to really tailor everything towards the Olympic Games because that's kind of the last thing on her resume to not have individually is an individual medal. Um, I, I would kind of assume she does probably do that. Obviously, the Olympics are very important <laughs> to everyone, so I think that's probably going to be, at least be the spoken word on the street that, yeah, of course, Olympics is kind of what we're focused on this year. But in reality, is that what ends up happening? And if it does, who does that, who is li- who is in the bushes kind of lying in wait going, all right, if the top dogs are going to really focus on the Olympic Games, can I try and um, have my moment of glory in the World Cup standings? There's going to be some athletes that, that take advantage of that. If, if they know I'm probably not good enough to contend for an Olympic medal, but if they go for that and sacrifice their World Cup season, I might be good enough to get some points and, be, and claim a higher overall spot than I would have before. Um, so that, that's interesting, like this whole new narrative that's been created in, in skiing. And, you know, I, it's a little too early to make predictions, but I think just this whole Bolshinov-Klabo incident at 50K, it's just made things really wild. And the fact that Bolshinov is is on top in terms of overall the globes, the distance globe, he, I think, holds the, the title of best skier in the world right now. But Klabo's nearly four golds and maybe could have or should have been four golds at world the world championships that's a feat so unparalleled that how can you say he's not the world's greatest skier so there's there's just kind of this this interesting dynamic going into next year is like what would they decide to to go for how much would they face off um, they're obviously both hungry, but what is what are they hungry for? Is Clavo hungry to kind of like settle the score? You know, it seemed like his quote of "I'm never going to let this happen again" sort of indicates that Clavo's ready to go. I'm not just a sprint guy. I want everything now. I'm going to go out there and win some 50ks. And kind of the Clavo that we had argued for and barked for on our last show is to be honest. The guy who who decides like he is technically an amazing and beautiful skier, obviously he is fit. So it's like, why don't you why don't you win some of these distance races too? Just do it, like you can. And it seemed more we had argued like we had argued before. It seemed more of a mindset thing of him kind of going, no, I'm a sprinter. This is really what I care about. This is where I hang my identity on. I'm okay, you know. If I win a distance race, it's fine. But if I'm not going to look like a fool, so if I'm not in contention to win or winning, I want to I want it to look like I didn't try. <laughs> You know, I'll get 15th or whatever. But he seems different now. So that's going to be interesting throughout the year. Does he try to go wire to wire and and come out on top um, in the overall title? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Well, I think that covers most of the ski talk I did want to get to. I guess there's a few more things, but if we want to get to everything else on the schedule, we better keep moving. So did you see this article on ESPN, you know, I'm trying to do a little bit better job of throughout the week, reading some articles, presenting the top stories, right? Some good quotes and quotes and jokes, right? But this, <laughs> this I thought was interesting. Okay, and the Aaron Rodgers went on Jeopardy to be the host, right? The title of this article is "Where What Is the Film Room?" Aaron Rodgers studied like no other to, quote, crush as Jeopardy guest host. This is Rob Domofsky. He's the Packer insider. He's a, he's their beat writer. <laughs> how did Aaron Rodgers prepare for his two-week run as Jeopardy guest host? Exactly how you would expect the Green Bay Packers quarterback to do it, like he was preparing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC Championship game. Even though Rodgers has watched hundreds of episodes and was a celebrity contestant in 2015, he went back to the film. And when I saw this, started this article, I was like, all right, keep my eyes peeled for preposterous statements here. And athletes just taking things way too seriously. It's just (laughs) unbelievable. Rodgers announced in January that he would be a guest host 
as the show found ways to replace host Alex Trebek, who died of cancer at age 80 on November 8th. Rogers said the two weeks of episodes were taped over two days in February. The first episode airs Monday in syndication. Here's a quote from Rogers. I watched hours and hours and hours of episodes, Rogers said in a phone interview Friday. Luckily, Netflix has a few seasons, and I went back to DVR. But I had to watch from a different perspective, from Alex's perspective. I couldn't watch it as a fan anymore. I took pages and pages of notes. I wrote down every affirmative that he said to any type of clue. At this point, when I was reading this article, I go, I scroll back. I'm like, was this one of those April Fool's articles? Am I being like just totally goofed? I realized, no, it's April 2nd. Good Lord. <laughs> I took pages and pages of notes. He lost me there, okay? Going back, if, if I was going to host Jeopardy, I admit, right? I'd do some studying too. Now, if I was Aaron Rodgers, I maybe wouldn't. Why would he study? Who cares? He could just walk into the studio. He's Aaron Rodgers. Here's why I say that. If he does a terrible job, if he's awful, it doesn't matter. He's a celebrity guest host. People are like, yeah, well, that's a celebrity guest, right? We just we threw him out there. It's fun. And if he does really good, what's going to happen? You know, Aaron, um, we were thinking uh, we'd really like you to be the Jeopardy host. Like, now, you, you, would you ever consider walking away from your Green Bay Packers job to do Jeopardy for us for a while? I mean, I don't know. Now, as I say that, I understand. I'm going against my mantra. Give 100% effort to be the best you can at whatever you do. Fine, okay? But, so if that's the case, then maybe I would do my best to be a Jeopardy host. But I'm trying to imagine Aaron Rodgers. Does he actually have so little going on with himself and his life that when someone goes, offers him the option, like, Aaron, we'd love to have you on Jeopardy, right? That he's like, Oh my gosh. All right, to the film room. I've got time. Don't worry. I'll worry watch every episode and I'll take notes on all of them. Right? So you get my drift here. <laughs> I'm not saying don't try, but I'm saying it's phenomenal. Astonishing that Rogers has the time the time on his hands to consider it worthwhile to watch film and write down notes. Oh my gosh. Can I keep going here? Here we go. I wrote down every affirmative that he said to any type of clue. I wrote down how he would respond if they didn't get it right. I wrote down beat points of the show. I wrote down all the different ways he would take it to break. I wrote down the stuff that he said coming out of break. Literally, I studied for this like no other. I wanted to absolutely just crush it. Now, Rogers, <laughs> Rogers has been noted. I think most athletes sports writers, radio hosts, at least that I kind of follow and I'm in tune to, Rogers isn't a nice guy, really, in the sense, uh, I, I, that's too, I didn't define that term well enough, I should just say this, Rogers is the kind of guy right now that doesn't speak to his parents or his brother, <laughs> they're not on speaking terms, like in kind of an awkward way, you know, like everyone in Aaron's family gets along really well, except for with Aaron. Uh, you know, there was a whole Brett Favre scandal. You have, if you don't know about that, go listen to the great ESPN has like the, um, not 3030, but they have a, um, sports rivalries show. No, 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 not ESPN. Sorry. It's just called sports rivalries. It's a podcast. I heard you should look it up. It's fun. It's interesting. They recreate and tell stories. The Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers one, <laughs> that one is like, oh my gosh. Like he's just kind of a little bit aloof for sure. And I mean, he's very cocky. And, and the part that obviously bothers me and, and bothers the people that I listen to is, you know, sort of when, when Rodgers doesn't make a mistake, right? Like in a game, if, if something happens, a bad throw, incomplete pass, he's always shaking his head at someone or pointing blame to other people. Always, always, always. You will never see Rodgers like do the pat on his chest. Like my bad, my bad, right? Um, he's not that type of guy. So Oh my gosh, like that quote would be kind of okay if coming from anyone else, but coming from Rogers when he's like, I just want to absolutely crush it. You're just like, oh my gosh, like get over yourself. Here we go. And it sounds, we'll keep going. It sounds as if Rogers wowed the Jeopardy executives. This is typical Packer writing, by the way, too. They are so infatuated. They're such Homer writers, right? Like they're just not even critical. They're athletes hardly at all. The first day was a practice session and Rogers said he could tell right away that, quote, they weren't ready for me. Oh my gosh. Here's Rogers. I know they didn't expect what I was about to bring, but I was just so prepared, Rogers said. I was so ready. 
So we get into the first game, the first run through. There's 30 questions in a Jeopardy round. And after the first 15 questions, we go to break. They say it in your earpiece, take it to break. So I take it to break and there was a pause. And I think everyone was like, whoa, okay, this guy kind of knows what he's doing here. Did you hear me just say that? I love how he I love how he says I think everyone was like, "Whoa, okay, this guy kind of knows what he's doing here." Like it would have been one thing if he if he would have said, you know, the guy in my earpiece said, "Dude, nice. Good job. You really know what's going on here." But he didn't. He's like he's that full of himself that he was like, "Yeah, whoa, I I I think everyone was like, this guy kind of knows what he's doing here. Whoa, Aaron, dude, you're the man." We continue. Quote from Aaron Rodgers. One of the head producers said as much. She was like, this is still Rogers saying this. By the way, I'm direct quoting Rogers in the article. One of the head producers said as much. She was like, I'm just so appreciative of your approach. And my whole thing was I felt like the best way to honor Alex's memory was to be so dialed in and so ready. And that's the approach I took. So I was ready to rock and roll. Okay, so there we go. This is fine. I like that quote. I like how he's like, I want to honor Alex. That's why I wanted to give my best. Cool. You still don't have to say that you were amazing. Just say you wanted to be, you you wanted to honor Alex by giving your utmost professionalism and you show that by trying to be really prepared. You don't need to be so full of yourself that you are like saying and I was really prepared. And I was amazing by the way. Rogers quickly discovered that as the host, he could see on his podium monitor what the contestants write for their final Jeopardy questions. Rogers couldn't reveal too much, but he teased what he believes will be a viral moment from the first episode. Just wait until you see the first show and what the returning champion wrote, and then think about me standing at the podium watching, and this will make sense when you see what he wrote, and I'm watching him write this down, Rogers said. For about 25 seconds, I'm watching him write this, and he thinks about the answer and says, F it. Basically, I'm going to write this answer which probably one of the viral moments of my two weeks will be his response, which is taking a shot at something that happened to us late in the season. (laughs) That's funny. Now I kind of do want to watch it. (laughs) So basically what he's saying is the the returning champion didn't know the answer and then just said, you know what, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say something to make Rogers, uh, Rogers respond, Rogers have to say something that is kind of a shot at him. That's kind of funny. Quote again, Rogers. But it was unbelievable as a host. I'm watching him and going, I can't believe I'm watching him write this. It was pretty amazing. Rogers said some of his best moments were hanging out with the crew on set. It reminded him of sitting around the locker room and talking to Packers employees who have been around for years. So many of the people that work on the show have been lifers, Rogers said. There's so many of them who have been there 25 plus years. Alex was 36, I believe. The head writer, Billy we- Billy Weissy, was there for 31 years. Lisa, one of the producers, has been there, I think, 30 years. The makeup ladies are amazing and have been there for like 27, 29 years. That was fun to hear the stories. It's like at the stadium, where being an older guy, you kind of gravitate toward guys like equipment staffers, Red Batty and T-Bone, Tom Bakken, retired athletic trainer Pepper Burrus, and current trainer Kurt Fielding. They have the stories that are the history of the franchise. Same thing on Jeopardy. Just hearing the backstories of what used to happen on set with Alex and what he was like offset. Okay, Rogers, I actually like this. This is good writing now. I like the journalizing Rob Domofsky. This is fun. I like that. That's cool. That's cool that you saw that. We'll finish the article just for just for good taste. Roger's stint as guest host came in the midst of plenty of questions about whether this could be his last year with the Packers. Were there any questions? Were there any answers to that question on the show or since? Said Rogers, not really. I don't know that I have any updates or anything. I do like how he's pretty straightforward. And, and when they asked him the question about if he was returning after last year's kind of disappointment, and, and he's kind of like, I don't know my future at the press conference. It's like... Yeah, guys, don't read into that, okay? Rogers is just kind of saying how it is. I do appreciate him for saying that. But wow, the fullness. Rogers taking Jeopardy. It's harder than than preparing for film if you're a quarterback. I just thought that was worth bringing up. Uh, And speaking of preposterous statements, okay, uh, let's get to that here uh, next. So one of my favorite bits in all of radio is the preposterous statement tournament on KFan. I listened to Dan the Common Man Cole, and um, I'm actually – I was a little disappointed. They used to have every single bracket up on the website. You could look them all up. And unfortunately, I, um, those are all gone. So I'm going to reach out to KFan and see if I can get every single preposterous statement tournament from the last 13 years, which would be a lot, but, but they're – they're very fun. I could rank them all. We could we could do like a top 10 segment or something. But just to give you a taste, so the reason I bring this up, uh, just uh, last week they wrapped it up. They had the winner presented um, 
And so I just wanted to read a few of these uh, to kind of to, to kind of whet your appetite as to why this is enjoyable. Here's one of the nominations. This is Mark Rosen. He was a number 13 seed with this. He actually, I think, had four quotes that got sent to the tournament. So he said, on the roller guard, it's funny, too, when you listen to the audio of them saying it. He was asked the question, um, and, and I wish I could play the audio for you just right now. Um Oh, here we go. Sorry, I got to find that spot again. Bo Jackson said he could average 400 yards a game. Where is that Mark Rosen clip? Here we go. On the roller garden, it's the most famous place in the state of Minnesota, and it just like came out of his mouth so naturally. Uh, the roller garden, the most famous place in the state of Minnesota. That's going to get used against him a lot. I liked that one a lot. This one's from a couple of years ago. Robbie Gould said, lack of fans in stadiums will affect his kicks. I think this year's stadiums will definitely be different from a wind perspective because the fans usually in most stadiums will knock down the wind. That's a good one. Uh, not sure how that didn't didn't make it much farther. Richard Pertino this year said, free throw shooting is a challenge because you really can't simulate it. It's kind of the one thing you can simulate in basketball. Another Mark Rosen one. When asked if he would want Bill Belichick as a Vikings head coach, he replied, no. Oh, man. Ben Lieber, he said, sort of feels bad for guys with guaranteed contracts. Oh, Chris Jones, number 13 seed with this. On facing the Jets. This was when the Jets were like 0-10. He played for the Chiefs. On facing the Jets. That's a very good football team. People forget that because they haven't won a game. (laughs) So these these are great. I mean, they are awesome. But here's here are the winners: Dan Hayes, sports journalist, with the number two seed. And again, the audio from this is classic. I I can't play it for you right now. It is more fun when you have that. I guess I uh, I wish you could kind of download it here. Um, yeah, you know, I, I could try and work for that for next time, maybe or another one. But on the upcoming MLB training camp after COVID nineteen delay, I'll try and say it how he said it. How do you get a position player ready to stand for nine innings in the outfield? That takes a little bit of time to build up the body. He said it like that. Okay, uh, so that was that was actually the champion. The one he beat was Meatsaw saying this was on March 11th. Meatsaw said during the early stages of the pandemic, "quote The best thing that could happen right now for this country is NFL free agency in about a week." My dad didn't understand the joke behind that one, but that's obviously clearly preposterous. The preposterous tournament that, or the preposterous statement, though, that I heard when listening to the Let's Run.com show for their Olympic trials preview. They were previewing uh, all the distance events 800, um, 1500, uh, 5K, and 10K. Obviously, fascinating. I haven't done my homework. I need to do that soon so I can get that out. But fascinated by uh, this statement, which. Now, I love Let's Run guys, but I heard this in passing that they said the 1500 is a totally different race than the mile. Because uh, they were trying to say Cole Hawker was, he did so well in the mile. The freshman from Oregon, he ran a 350 in the indoor mile, in case you haven't heard. And he won the mile and the 3K uh, in a 45 minute span in 355 and 746 at the NCAA championships yeah, a couple weeks ago. And they said, so they say the fifteen hundred and the mile are two completely different events. I think that's a massive stretch. Okay, I get that they are different, and and, and ask my twin brother, it's possible even to forget how many laps you've run in a fifteen hundred, but completely different events. I don't know. And if you are a three fifty miler, to say that the fifteen hundred is going to be a challenge is just absolutely preposterous for one thing the mile is longer if you're good at the mile you will be fine at the 1500 it's not like the difference between the mile and the 600 or the mile and the 200 or even the mile and the 800 you know those are completely different events but we're talking like energy systems here running the 1500 all out and running the mile all out what is the difference effect on your body i don't know i thought that was very strange And uh, anyway, so there was my preposterous statement. We're not going to dive into their picks because I would like to save that for a later show where, where let's let's really analyze the deep dive of the Olympic trials favorites. I, I'm hoping to be in Oregon for the Olympic trials. I, I really hope that for the sake of that, that the pandemic gets really under control and everything gets opened up again because that was such a fun event five years ago. 
the excitement and the fans around Hayward Field, it was just tremendous, uh, a tremendous excitement, one of the coolest atmospheres and one of the coolest 10 days of my life to just have that every day, um, a really good track meet with intense drama. And it's, it wasn't like the whole day that the track meet lasted. We had tons of time in the morning to go for runs at time in the afternoon to go on hikes, Christy and I hanging out. Uh, we got to stay in the dorms, which was super cool, uh, in at the University of Oregon and got passes to all the food places, hanging out with the Eagle Eye crew, the film guys that we work with. It was just a blast. You know, I had a couple of friends down there too to make it uh, fun to just kind of hang out with them as well. One of the coolest events. Uh, if you are a track fan or running fan at all, it's worth your time and money to try it at least once. Uh, my friend Eric Hansen, who was there, he is a... Um, about, about what, three years older than I am, I guess, ran with my older brother as well, more at high school guy. He's a professor at NDSU now, but him and his whole family, they made like a family vacation out of it. And part of the reason that that was so cool, to be honest, was Eric's at that point graduated working. Elizabeth's younger sister graduated. She's my age. Um, Adam's just a couple years younger. So, and married, has a kid, two kids, three kids. Uh, but anyway, the whole family is like, we're going to Eugene, we're going to be together and kind of centered it around track, you know, 10 days out in Eugene, Oregon. It's a sweet place to vacation. So it ended up being an awesome vacation for them, but a uh, really cool, a uh, really cool experience. So I hope that everything is normal by June so we can do that. Uh, it would just be, it would just be awesome. I don't think I've got anything more that is pressing for the show. I'm trying to do a better job of keeping my shows a little bit cut down in length. So uh, uh, that's why I think I might just edit here. I've got more topics, but I'll just keep pushing them away. I think t- as far as timeliness goes, you know, um, I don't want to keep going. So it's kind of fun. We kept this as a ski ski show today, and we can save some of those topics for next time uh, here on the Cedar Skier Podcast. We hope that you are able to get out and enjoy some snow. Well, last, we're going to be heading up to Grand Mesa next week. Hopefully, it's the first time I've been on those trails. So I'm excited to try out the grooming there, try out the trail scene. And it's a very fascinating place. you got, you know, great snow at 10,000 feet. You drive down to 6,000 into Grand Junction. It's a big city with unbelievable mountain biking. And an incredible road biking, too. So I'm hoping to do a fall training camp out there as well, maybe when it's still kind of peak roller ski uh, road bike season to get out there, Christy and I in the Sprinter Van. So we might do a Sprinter Van show next week. We'll see how that pans out. But uh, go to cedarskier.com, comment. If you got questions, you want to reach out, reach us out on Facebook or cedarskier.com or the email address is provided there as well. Awesome. We'll see you next time. Uh, this is Shovel Lake Public Radio.